find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. You know, I keep hearing about the 10th anniversary of Fifty Shades of Grey. And while I'm not personally a fan due to the writing quality and the fact that there's so much misrepresentation of BDSM and power play uh, and, and some other things, but back when the movie first came out, I did two shows with Ernest Green, the uh, author of Master of O, which he'll tell you about, <laughs> and with Nina Hartley. And I had them on the show because, number one, he, he had just recently written a book um, set in the BDSM community that is represented properly and uh, very accurately. And uh, Nina, who has experience also in the community and could give us a good representation about the the um, power play community. And um, in both of the shows, we shared a lot of information about things that are misrepresented and then about about the actual the truth about the community and about power play in general from both sides, from the uh, domination side and from the submissive side. And so I just figured since, since it's so in the news right now about Fifty Shades of Grey again, I uh, just thought it would be a great time to reshare those two shows. So I'll have the first one tonight, and then I'll have the next one next week. And as always, they'll be in the archive. Feel free to listen again and to share if you'd like to, and to come back next week and to hear the other. I'll also tell you that at the time we recorded the shows, they were married. I hope that you enjoy the shows and that you also come back next week and hear the other. And feel free to share with your friends. A lot of interesting information and very, very lively discussion with the two of them. So let's get on with the show and Ernest and Nina. Today I have got a returning guest. Some of you who have listened to the show likely have heard my interview with Ernest Green, the author of Master of O. If you haven't, there will be a link on my website with the promo for this show for you to go back and listen to that and hear the first call. But he is back with me today, and Nina Hartley is with us today also. And I'm going to let them introduce each other, but let me, let me just tell you a little bit first. Since the Fifty Shades of Grey movie is coming out this week, and since there is a whole lot of controversy surrounding it, a whole lot of misinformation, mistruth, and this kind of thing in the movie, we are going to tackle it head on, and we are going to discuss the things that she got wrong. We're going to discuss the reality and the truth of the situation. So it's going to be lively, folks. It's going to be a lively conversation. So instead of me introducing my guest, I'm going to let Nina introduce Ernest, and Ernest introduce Nina. So Nina. All right. Um, Ernest Green is, among other things, an amazing writer, a terribly stylish dresser, a raconteur, man about town, multi-talented person. He writes, he produces, he directs, he styles, he edits, and he edits, yes, and he makes me laugh every day. In the bedroom, he is my dominant partner, so he brings it in the bedroom now for 15 years, and I'm still not bored, and if you knew me, you'd know how rare that is, and also he is a wonderful romantic partner and a great all-around guy. I think he's awesome, personally. I met him 25 years ago and have been happy to know him ever since. Well, that's a pretty tough intro to follow up. I was going to say, that that's a tough one to follow. <laughs> that's a good review. The only thing I would add to that is that I am also a magazine editor. I am the editor of Hustler's Taboo, which is a kink-oriented magazine. That's just a sort of a resume item, but it's relevant here. Yes, sorry. Hello. It's okay. It's okay. You, I like the fact that it was that you reviewed me instead of my work, which is nice, <laughs> especially since it's a good review. Nina Hartley, of course... As they say, it always starts this way, needs no introduction, but here's one anyway. She's a very well-known performer in uh, X-rated film, 
has been for about uh, 25 years, continues to be very active and in demand in the field. She's also a sex-positive activist, member of the board of directors of the Victoria Woodhull Freedom Fund, a longtime advocate for all kinds of uh, sexual education and sexual knowledge. She is the uh, star of a uh, 40-segment series of adult explicit sex education videos, um, and has a spectacular career as a writer, an educator, a speaker, a motivator, a, an activist for change where, where sexuality is concerned. Now, those professional questions, matters out of the way. She's also charming, funny, unpredictable. So we go back a long way. Uh, okay, the, the listeners are probably getting a, an idea of why I invited you to, to do this show with me. Like I said, we're, we're going to tackle it head on. I, I was reading a bunch of articles online the last couple of days, and there's all kinds of people complaining about the, the books and the movies for all kinds of reasons. But, Ernest, tell us a little bit about your book. The biggest book and the other books are that the story is based on his actual life experiences with this form of sexual expression and comes from a real place inside of him um, as opposed to gussying up a classic tale of, you know, virginal love with kinky accoutrements uh, with no understanding of the why, the where, and the how of how this sexuality is expressed uh, versus Ernest, who it works as a book because it works in real life. Uh, it's different I, when you write about something you know instead of just reading about it and guessing the rest of it. So Pretty much. I've been active in uh, the uh, BDSM community for about, oh, I'm dating myself here, but for about 30 <laughs> years. And I have watched... Uh, 35, sweetheart. Th- oh, <laughs> thank you, sweetheart. Yes, 35. I didn't mean to leave off those extra five years. You know whereof you speak. <laughs> I do indeed. I have a dominant sexual orientation. That is the way it is. I practice it ethically and carefully according to the rules that we were all taught at the beginning, which is to say in a manner that is to be considered safe, sane, and consensual. We could argue about the sane part, but the safe and consensual part got to be there. In the course of all that, had much occasion to want to write about the experience, the lived experience, of being the dominant partner in a BDSM or power exchange type of relationship because most of the literature that exists going all the way back to Story of O, the original Story of O, is told from the submissive partner's point of view, which is understandable because it's very dramatic. That's the person for whom the cards are placed face down. There are all kinds of surprises and challenges and so on. But I think people forget that that is a shared experience under ideal circumstances in which for the dominant partner, it's also a process of discovery. It's a process of exploration. It's a way of knowing oneself and knowing one's partner that's particularly intimate because it involves making yourself vulnerable. Anyone who claims that in the dominant role they're not making themselves vulnerable is, well, they might be kidding themselves or they might not be telling the truth, but I don't think that's the way it actually works. So for a very long time, actually for a long time before those other books that we'll be talking about came out, I had been contemplating writing a piece of fiction that would essentially cover some of the same ground as what I consider to be sort of the foundational piece of fiction of modern BDSM fiction, which is Story of O, but told in a modern setting. I moved it up to modern Los Angeles, which bears some weird resemblances to post-war Paris, and set it in a world where BDSM is a known quantity. It exists. There's a community of people who are involved in it. And to modernize the characters, mostly the dominant male characters who, in most BDSM fiction, are just one or another form of cardboard cutout and don't have real personalities. And if you've ever known, what I like to say is, if you've met one of us, you've met one of us. If you've ever ever known any dominant people, male or female, just like any submissive people, male or female, there are no two alike. We all have individual personalities and individual quirks, and I thought that would make great fictional material. But with, you know, making, making movies and putting out magazines and so on and so forth, it took me a while to get around to writing a novel about it. But I finally did. I wrote this 700-page brick of a novel called Master of O that is set in modern Los Angeles, and it is told from the point of view of a, a, an interesting, complicated, dominant character a person not without flaws and not without doubts, but a, you know, a person uh, nevertheless who is 
interesting in his own right. I think two of the things that are a big issue or have been overlooked by some of the people that, that have commented about um, that, that other you know set of books and movie is the, the naivete of the, the female lead in the book. Right. And then also the, the consent. Consent is just missing. From everything I've read, I mean, it, she, she basically doesn't consent at all, and he just doesn't care. I'd say that's it's, true. It's interesting because they even talk about it. And she actually says, no, I don't think so. And they, after he shows her this written contract, she says, well, uh, yeah, no, I'm not really interested in citing that. And he sort of then tosses it aside and says, oh, well, and goes yeah. for it. Yeah, we mustn't forget that the iterate the ideology of this story go first. It's you know rewriting uh, Jane Eyre. So we have the innocent young person and the dark older person with the secret and her innocence and youth heals his wounds. Blotity, blotity, and blah. makes him normal. And God makes him forbid. normal again. So so this really book it really isn't about BDSM. It's about continuing the trope of innocent young girls. Pure love saves the dark, tormented heart of the rich hero. I promise you there are no people like that in my book. None. Not one. Nobody needs saving. Nobody needs fixing. And nobody wants to be fixed. Everybody's happy the way they are. They all were already well along in their journey in this before they even got, before they met each other. Right. Which is very different from the sort of initiation story, which is really kind of the art. Also, and let's not forget that in in, in real life, um, BDSM is a sexual orientation. It's nothing, while it may look like a set of behaviors, one does X, one says Y, it comes from, this is what gets me hot, this is what gets my motor running, this is what makes my heart open up, this is what makes me bomb for my partner. Um, So we do it with each other. I mean, um, I'm what they call a switch, and so depending on my partner, I can be either the driver or the driven. (laughs) Um, And with Ernest, it's always always being the driven, darn poor me. Um, uh, But it's still an honest expression of our sexual orientation. And it's not because we were – so any, any messed up childhood we may or may not have had isn't why we're doing this. That's just childhood stuff. This is because this is who we are sexually. And that's a big difference um, from the books, which is shown to be the temporary fix for deep psychological issues that he has. And eventually he's cured. Yes, it's, oh, D- it's DIY <laughs> therapy in there. But no, actually, people who come to it with that in mind are going to find out that all their old problems remain. They just, yeah. now have, they just now have a new one. They have a new problem, which is that they have to now find a, you know, a partner within the spectrum of BDSM partners and DS partners who might otherwise be compatible with all the other things about them that are crazy. You know, it's funny that in talking to fellow BDSM people from all over the world, as I get to do, <clears throat> the thing I often hear from them is, you know, the rest of my life is kind of messy, but the one thing in my life that's squared away is my sex life. Right, exactly. So, yeah. I've read comments like that, and it's like, well, that's an interesting take on it. Oh, and let's not forget, um, Ernest talks about this. You know, at first, it's a relationship. Yeah. So it is, you know, I agree. We both agree that we have more fun in the bedroom when he's in charge. It's really interesting that in Fifty Shades of Grey, it isn't really a relationship at first. It's really, frankly, it's it's a sort of predatory behavior on the part of an entitled little guy who's got a lot of money and used to have him drop dead at his feet and do whatever he says just going after something he wants, and the relationship only develops in the later books as the, the person who was originally pretty much just a bunny begins to be a more assertive character and gradually changes him to be more like her, which is the most offensive part of the book. Of uh, the whole series, it's the most offensive idea in there. I mean, there are a lot of offensive ideas in oh, there. As you said, there's so many. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, it's hard to know where to start. <laughs> but the one I'd start with the most, because it's one that's going to resonate for a whole lot of people, is the notion that you know, loving the proper innocent person who gives you pure love will fix whatever about you there is that's sexually unusual. Now, if you removed BDSM or kink or whatever from that sentence and put the word gay in there instead, suddenly it's going to flash at you like a neon sign that that's a really offensive idea. You know, the notion that, well, a gay person is actually just a straight person who hasn't met the right partner. Uh, No, I don't think that's very true of any gay people I know, and it's not very true of any kinky people I know either. They could meet a partner who was perfectly nice in every other way, but if they didn't share this sexual orientation with them, they would not be a contender. 
Well, the thing is, if, if you're going into a relationship and it's going to be healthy, you don't go in saying, I'm going to change this person and make them like what I like. Right. You know, you, you love the person that. <laughs> who they are and what they love, what they want, what they're passionate about. Not, well, you know, when you, you have to come on over here to be acceptable, you have to like everything I like the way I like it. That's ridiculous. It can't ever work that way. And you know what? It wouldn't matter whether we were talking about sex or a whole bunch of other things, but people are basically compatible as they are. Or they're not. Or they never or will they're be. Not. I, exactly. I like to say this about buying clothes. If it doesn't fit you when it when you put it on, no matter how much tailoring you have done, it never will. Right, it's sort right. of the same thing with relationships. If it doesn't work for you, it's not going to work for you, no matter what you do. I, I like blunt, so you're going to fit right in, Nina. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. She's, she's good at that. <laughs> oh, no, no bl- 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 blunt is good. Because you know, we're talking about people's... I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I won't say, I'm a sexual polymath, would you say, Ernest? Oh, absolutely. So I didn't know a whole lot about BDSM before I met Ernest. I know I liked the, some of the art, uh, John Willie and Betty Page, of course, the, the clothes, and it just fascinated me, but I didn't know anybody who sex life was like this. Um, I was non-conventional in a different way. Um, I lived in living in a multiple relationship and doing porn and being a swinger, but, but you know, power exchange as a thing was something I didn't have a lot of experience with. But I'm always down for a good time, and uh, um, Ernest has a line in the book uh, um, when O is having sex with somebody toward the end of the book, and she said, and the line is, "It was real for him, and O liked anything real. So if it's real for my partner, I'm going to be interested in it because I like anything real." And it turned out that while I didn't know a lot about Ernest's sexual or uh, sexual behavior, I didn't know a lot about BDSM. I liked him, and I liked to the expression of it, and he just made all the gears turn around. It's like, well, this is interesting. I want more of this. Well, the clever thing that I learned very early on is that is that my partner's pleasure is the source of my power. If Go I, figure. If I want someone to be submissive to me, I have to give them a good reason. You such have to as make the fact it that fun. They'll enjoy it. <laughs> yes, and, and and for 15 years he has done that. Um, so, and for me, I'm I'm quite honestly, I'm sexually very easily bored in relationship. That's why I'm a non-monogamous person. That's why I like sex with lots of different kinds of people in lots of different situations and places. And so clearly there's something to this BDSM thing when, for me, sex with the same person for 15 years is still really interesting, really, really appealing. I never in my life thought I'd find that. I wasn't even looking for it, but it's like, well, I'm still interested, so I'm still here. You know, it's really, there is a lovely place that you can go with a compatible partner in power exchange relationships, and one of my problems with Fifty Shades of Grey is that we never see that. We right only now. see it portrayed in a very negative way as something, as a problem, an obstacle in the relationship, mm-hmm. a thing to be gotten over. Honestly, it's the thing that powers a relationship between people who are correctly matched. Yes. And, I, and, the, and you, don't get any, you don't get any sense of why, from those books, and I'm sure the movie will follow right along with this, of Probably why works. anyone would want this thing um, if, if there wasn't something wrong with them and that once that something wrong got fixed, they wouldn't want it anymore. Right. You know, I've been, I've been friends with people in this community for about, oh, now I'll date myself even more, about 40 years, and I will <laughs> say that they've changed in all kinds of ways, but one thing that hasn't changed about them is what they like when it comes to sex. That's not one of those things that can just be rewritten. I really, really do believe that, to some extent, this is part of your DNA. This is part of what's coded into you. And if you like it, you will. And if you don't, you won't. And also, let's not, let's not forget, Ernest, how, how decidedly romantic. So what, Nina, Ernest, how do you keep the romance alive? Well, if you think of, uh, we keep the romance alive, air quotes around the word romance, because, we can, because of the nature of the ritual, because of the ritualistic nature of the role structure and the, and the so-called protocol and the way that we treat each other during our sex play, we, the, from the first time we had sex together to, to the most recent time, we imbue the act with as much respect and appreciation and, and conscious deliberation and focus as in the first time. When you're first falling in love with somebody, if you're vanilla, you're, you're all about each other. And then what can often happen if you don't keep 
the sense of discovery at the front of the sex play, it can devolve into boredom. One thing about being in a uh, power exchange relationship, it can never be just, it can never just happen. As soon as sex as soon as sex is going to happen, our focus is there, our attention is there, everything else is put on the back burner, and we continually, um, deliberately, ongoingly, renew our commitment to making, bringing our best selves to the bedroom. And we keep thinking, coming up with new things to try, and not all of them are as, as hot as we think they're going to be, but a lot of them are. We, you know, it, it, if, what happens is one, if you're in a, a long-term BDSM or DS type of relationship, is that there is an evolution that occurs. You yeah. discover more and more about yourselves and each other, and new ideas come in, and you try them out. It's really a, it, it is a great way of, at its best, keeping things fresh and keeping opportunities for discovery always present. Um, that, again, I mean, in, in the way it's portrayed popu- all too popularly in this current situation, you don't get any sense of that. You, all you really get a, sen- a sense of is that, as I said, it's a problem to be fixed. Now, it's very interesting. We fought a long battle by we, I say, people, activists in the, in the BDSM community fought a long battle to get sadomasochistic personality disorder removed from the DSM, which is the standard work that people in the mental health industry use to, in the mental health field, use to decide exactly what it is that you're crazy over. And for a long time, being a, a kinky person was classed in there as some kind of crazy. Finally, we got rid of that with much lobbying. That was taken out of there. It's no longer considered crazy in the way that it's no longer considered crazy to be gay. Um, which was also in the DSM for a long time. So it's taken a while to get to some degree of public acceptance about this. And frankly, my worst worry, my real worry about the, about the movie, about these books, is the way in which it repathologizes something we've been struggling to convince people yeah. is, not a, is not a symptom of mental illness. It right. certainly he, comes he has across plenty of other symptoms of mental illness that have nothing to do with his sex life. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. he's a crazy guy. Yeah, He's a crazy guy, and he's and, you know, in real life, it really, I'll tell you what gives me the willies is not so much in the, within the realm of you know, BDSM blogs and stuff like that where everybody argues about everything and everyone's an instant expert and so on and so of forth. Of course. But when I see ads on Craigslist that say things like, looking for my Mr. Gray, oh. a shudder goes through me at the thought of who's going to respond to that ad. Let's see, somebody who doesn't know anything and is completely naive, mm-hmm. somebody who has no clue what to expect. Yes, if I were a sociopathic predator, that'd be exactly the person I'd be looking for. I, I, tell you, I knew you were So I that am somewhat concerned about that, but really, I'm, that's a, I, I don't think, that, I think there'll be a few bad stories that'll where we'll, that we'll hear about things happening from that. But I think the real problem it presents is the way in which this thing, which is the biggest object we've ever had on the cultural radar, portrays us all as a bunch of sick people. You know, and I, I, I can't, sometimes I can't even get members of my own community to see why that's a bad thing. But it really is a bad thing because honestly, all we, you know, we're not asking that everybody be like us or be into what we're into or even approve of it. We're just asking that they not regard it as mental illness. And that's well, really and, how it's portrayed. Well, and, and to be left alone. It's just nobody's business, you know. Well, there is that. I, you know, I can't, <laughs> uh, you know pi- uh, constructive questions, always welcome. Constructive criticism, worth listening to. But this isn't any of that. Yeah, but out-and-out out criticism for people that don't have a clue what they're talking about. That, right, that, and it, it isn't even meant to be critical. It actually isn't meant to address this as an issue overall, but its defenders right. keep saying, oh, it's just a work of fiction, and the BDSM thing was just the hook of the story. It's nice to know that I've spent so much time becoming the hook for somebody else to get rich off of, but that's really, it's, it's, it does have a message, and its message is very negative. Hey, let me, let me tell you, I, was, I did a search just to, to see if there was anything current on Craigslist just to get a feel for what people were doing. Mm-hmm. I found one that says, job opportunity. Are you still searching for your own Christian Grey? Uh-oh. No, no, get this. It gets worse. Salary, 175000 to 250000 per year, plus benefits. Right. Sure. Okay, and then he, of course, of course <clears throat> has to have a perfect body and face, dress, dress sexy, be flirtatious, 
Um, let me see. Be spontaneous, like to have fun, personal assistant, please send resume with job history and sexy nude revealing pictures. Well, anyone in response to that ad has already got more problems than I can imagine how yeah, to start so fixing it. And the guy one, who placed that ad uh, obviously doesn't know how things work among people who actually are knowledgeable about this, and that's probably good. I hope he doesn't get any responses. Of course, as soon as you wave that kind of money around, you're going to get some. But you know what? That may be a situation where people get what they deserve. The guy who's trying to attract a partner like that by offering money may just get somebody who's more interested in the money than they are in them, and that's going to be a, obviously not a very good outcome. Mm, no, but, it's not. yeah, there are, there are going to be some bad individual outcomes, but, again, I mean, my, my greater concern has to do with how we're all perceived, and this is a thing that, I, as I said, I find people in my own community are not necessarily hard, easy to convince about it. I think that they're picturing this great influx of, of new people who will be enthusiastic and who will come in here you know, and, and reinvigorate all of our, com- our community lives with their presence. Well, I think actually you know, some of that's true. I mean, one thing I will say in favor of this uh, is that it does open the discussion in public in a way that nothing ever has. It that's just that's opens- what I like. That's what I like. It's got people talking. It's got people talking, but unfortunately, uh, it provides those who already are inclined to take a negative view of this kind of relationship with plenty of ammunition and nothing much to anybody who it doesn't hold that point of view. In in a way, it influences public opinion subtly in a a very bad direction. I like to compare it, not because it's going to be all that awful or awful consequences will immediately eventuate from it, but rather because I, I like to compare it to Gone with the Wind. Uh, really, which was a very popular book in its time and much better written, I might add, and was turned into know that uh, and, t- and turned into a terrific movie. We all love, you know, we all love the, the the whole up the staircase scene and everything else. All terrific, oh, of course, yeah, it's great. Okay, but it paints a completely unrealistic picture of the antebellum South as a place full of dashing plantation owners and blushing bells and happy childlike slaves who don't mind the fact that they have no freedom. You know, and that point of view has a way of seeping into people's consciousness. And it took a, it really wasn't until Roots came out that people in large parts of the country that where there had not been slavery got a good look at what, sla- what a slave economy looked like and went, yeah, that's terrible. Well, yeah, it was. So I, what I dislike about this thing is that by distorting the way things are, sometimes Bad ideas have a way of driving out good ideas. It makes it harder for us to articulate why it's not like it's portrayed in those books because, obviously, who has the bigger platform? Who has the bigger soapbox? Because these people who cook this thing up are very clever marketers. They had a plan from the beginning to do this, the whole cover story about how it sort of just organically grew. Not true. The the author and her husband were BBC producers who were already well-connected in the media business and highly experienced at promoting things. And they very carefully waged this campaign, and the result of that is that they're now making $155,000 a day off of this deal. Now, you know, I don't like to count other people's money. Money, good for them. I like to see writers get rich. Uh, you know, proves to me that it could happen. But <laughs> as unlikely as it seems. But they have done so at the expense of misrepresenting a whole bunch of people who are real human beings who are going to have to yeah. answer questions about this right. now, like we're doing. Very true. Which we're willing to do and we're able to do because we've, you know, we've done a lot of, of public outreach and a lot of programs and so on. We do workshops. We know how to talk about this. But ordinary, more ordin- ordinary is not a very good word and doesn't fit with the next one, but regular kinky people, the mainstream of kinky people, are not really prepared for that. And they're not prepared for the backlash it may cause. You know there are already campaigns being conducted from you know, from everyone from the religious right to the radically feminist left to boycott this movie because it glorifies domestic abuse. Right. You know? I'm, I'm, and if there's one thing we do, in the SM community, we don't put up with a, with domestic abuse. We're against it. You right. know, but it doesn't look like that when you see the kind of counter campaign that's being waged. And also, when, when the right and the left can come together about something, I don't look think, out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
You know, this is something. This it's a rare case when when you know, when when James Dobson and Gail Bynes agree on something. I say that's cause for alarm. But as I keep saying that, everyone keeps it. As I said, they keep saying, "Oh, it's just Ernest. fiction. Oh, You're just Ernest. worrying about nothing." Let me tell you that in the early days, when BDSM and DS relationships started to come out of the closet. Uh, we discovered what the level of public tolerance for that was, and at that point it was pretty low. It's taken yeah. about 30 years to get to the point where we could even have this conversation, and I'm glad to have the conversation, but I'm just sorry that this is the thing that opened it. I would have liked yeah. a more positive thing. I would have liked for it to have come from within our community where we have actually lots of terrific writers. It's not oh, as yeah. if this subject has never been written about before, that we have a lot of people who really are knowledgeable and really write well about it, and not necessarily writing propaganda, but actually good, nuanced, complicated, fictional portrayals of believable people uh, who are involved in it. And now, of course, the stereotype is going to be what most people see. And believe me, a lot of people have already read these books, and a lot of people are going to see the, that movie, and there's nothing that can be done about that. So we're going to have to help educate those people if they actually become in, in, interested in pursuing this. And I don't think most of them will. I think they'll look at it as a movie and go, yeah, okay. Um, and that will be the end of that. But it, it will leave behind greater stigma for us to overcome because you know they'll ask those questions like well do you like you know like when she says no do you just ignore that and go ahead anyway no we really don't do that we really take no for an answer well would you actually like you know follow someone around and like force your way into their house and force yourselves on them no we wouldn't do that but if the idea of what we're all about uh, that you get is the idea that you get from those books in that movie that's going to take more convincing that we really don't need to have. I think it's a setback for us in that respect. Yep. But it does have people talking about it. Now if they only knew what they were talking about, right. it would help. <laughs> well, if you, you could know. at least start with the facts, you know, instead of starting with all these things that are just so not true. Right. Let me, let me tell you, I found this really interesting, in, in one of the many blog articles I read, I found this really interesting description of BDSM. And I, I'm real curious if you two agree with this, okay? Okay. It says, BDSM is about mutual care, mutual pleasure, and mutual respect. A healthy and safe relationship that involves BDSM requires all the things that any healthy and safe relationship requires. Trust, intimacy, vulnerability, and respect. Allowing your partner to control your body during sex demands deep trust. Bondage, discipline, submission, all of these things are highly intimate acts, and most importantly, BDSM is based on consent. Wow, that's, that's, lovely. that's lovely. Isn't that great? That's Man. awesome. Where, where's could that from I, yeah, again? Yeah, can I ask who wrote that? I want to copy that down. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I will, I will make sure to shoot over the, the link to you, but Please it was do, on Crushable. That's, wonderful. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, really that's nice. a perfectly good description. It really captures the thing. You know, it's hard to picture this, but for people from who, who've never done it and never had the experience, but it can be a very romantic kind of life of a type of romance very different from the tormented, screwed-up romance in Fifty Shades of Grey. It can be yes. a real romance. You know, as I said, when you've, when you've been happily married and doing this with the same person for 15, 14, 15 years, and you still <laughs> like it, and you still like each other, and you still want to do it, and you still want to do it, obviously it has something to offer more than just an argument over who needs fixing. That's it. It's, it's also, it's, also it's, it's, it's not... Um, Yes, what he said. <laughs> Why, thank you. I didn't tell her to say that. She just said that on her own. Um, yeah, you know, I know you did. <laughs> but, your, but that description of it is excellent. It's all about mutual respect. It's about caring. Um, it's about, it is about concern for the, not only the physical safety of, of your partner, but also the emotional safety of your partner. Both partners, as I said, make themselves very vulnerable. They're revealing deep things about themselves when they do this. And in so doing, it, you need to be doing that with, a, with someone who cares about you and will respect that. That is what makes it work. You know, well, you know and, and, and just like and Ernest, she said, Ernest said um, to, not to also remember that um, BDSM practice feels very different than it looks. It's right. Very much of it is an interior process, um, and the behavior that is only visible to, to people who aren't participating can look very harsh or mean, and what they're not, what they're not is inside of our heads 
in the mood. We're making our own movie. We're, make, we're the hero and heroine of our own movie each and every time, and it's really, really interior that way. The, you know, the, the notion that this is violent behavior, again, which is you know, a, a notion that runs all through Fifty Shades of Grey, that this is some form of violent behavior, just belies the fact there's actually fairly little physical roughness involved in doing BDSM. You know, I like to joke about this. If you go into any of the more popular emergency rooms here in Los Angeles on a weekend, you will find people who are injured from skateboarding and people who are injured from you know, boating accidents and people who are injured from rock climbing and all kinds of other leisure pastimes, injured from you know, playing rugby. I don't know. But you won't find anybody in there who's injured from doing BDSM play because the level of actual physical stress involved for the most part, is really quite mild. A lot of this is a psychological process. That's what makes it good. So uh, overall, although I know there are some people, we, we consider them edge players, who, who do things that are more extreme, overall there's a great emphasis on safety and caution in the way people are taught about it if they enter the community. And I think that uh, the evidence is really there. If this thing was a really dangerous pastime, given how many people are obviously interested in it and involved in it, we'd have seen a lot more bad news than we've seen over the last 20 years. Well, see, that's, yeah. that's one of the things that concerns me about the misinformation and the way that it's being pitched in these books and this movie, because you've got young people that are really impressionable, and you've got older people, too, but you've got you know, people that are already inexperienced or have kind of made it up as they went along kind of thing, you know, that kind of deal, and then they try to experiment the way they think it's supposed to be, and they could get hurt. You know? Oh, yeah, there's no question but about if it. If it's done the wrong, right it could be dangerous. Oh, yes, indeed. It could be, although, again, I think it's easy to overstate that, but, yeah, in the hands of people who are completely uh, without training and knowledge, I think that's very bad. I mean, if you come in through the community, it's a, there's a, a tutorial period in which, you know, you're mentored by people who are already there, and they say, look, this thing works this way, and this thing works that way, and you have to be careful about this, and you have to be careful about that. People who are just starting from scratch with a pair of dime store handcuffs and, you know, a, a scarf gag, I don't know, could be harmless, could work out fine. You know, again, People, I, I'm often asked, well, it's just going to spice up some marriages. What's the harm? If that's all it does, there is no harm. But right. if what it also does is encourage people to do things that they're really not ready to do um, and they really don't know how to do and they do them wrong, well, that could be a problem. It's not my major preoccupation here. Um, I'm, as I said, more concerned about the broader impact of how we're viewed. It's taken a very long time for us to be seen as anything other than creepy, dangerous people. And sure enough, the, finally something breaks wide. I've been waiting all these years for Hollywood or other mainstream media to really give this thing the full treatment. And what do we see it presented as? Exactly. Dangerous and crazy. You know, I mean, gosh, couldn't you, couldn't you have given us a more positive image of this thing? I'm not asking for some kind of sugar-coated version of it that doesn't acknowledge that there are problems connected with it. I'm just asking that it not be a completely inaccurate bash job, which is what this looks like to me. When I wrote my book, it was not with the intention of selling people on the idea of how wonderful it was, although I think there are moments in it when you, you get a sense of what makes it fun and exciting and great to do, but really just to let people know that it is not so far removed from day-to-day -day life and that people can engage in it knowledgeably and safely and have a terrific time, that they, but that they have to be coming from that place. They need to know what they want. They need to know how to negotiate what they want. They need to know how to set limits. They need to know how to observe limits. These are all things that, uh, interestingly enough, there's open discussion of that in Fifty Shades of Grey, and then it's ignored. In my book, there's not much open discussion of that. There's like a, a couple of minutes of, you know, setting limits and discussing, you know, what, what we don't do and what we do, and then, then they get on with it because these are knowledgeable, enthusiastic players, both of them, both uh, Stephen and O., and, in fact, everybody who engages in BDSM behavior or DS behavior in my book, they've all done it before, and they know they like it, and they know exactly what about it they like. So they're really not at any risk of having something they don't like happen to them. And I think that the, you know, the suspense and the tension comes from trying to reconcile other life goals that they have with this aspect of their nature, and that's just true for everybody. Right.
intimate relationships, as I'm sure you'd agree, are always a challenge when they come up against the realities of daily life. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's why dating is easier than being married. Much. You but, know, because you know, after all, a, ba- a bad date is one night. A bad marriage is a long thing. <laughs> a whole lot of bad Don't remind me. I was in one. Yeah, easier <laughs> in than out on the marriage thing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, honestly, a lot of people, either in relationships or the, just have really active sex lives, they, they, a lot of people just don't grasp real intimacy. You know, a lot of people just think it's sex. Well, it's not. No. You know, you know and, it, and it seems like... With the amount of communication and trust and, and awareness of your partner and this kind of thing that you need within the kink community, it seems like even if it's not everybody's idea of what intimacy is, there is a, a much deeper intimacy than most people have in their relationships. Am I missing that? Not you're dead right. You are absolutely on the nose with that. You know, I think all kinds of people out there who, who are having what they consider to be perfectly normal vanilla sex of the type that, you know, they're familiar with have an interesting movie running in their heads that has all kinds of stuff in it that is not, has nothing to do with what they're doing. Um, uh, they really are, they are not intimate in the sense that even though they're having physical intimacy, they're not having emotional intimacy because they're right. not really sharing what it is that excites them. And with this, uh, with, with, with this kind of sexual relationship, that's the first information that has to come out before you can even go forward. Right. Do you like this? Do you like that? Are you into this? Are you into that? No? Well, then I guess we're not meant for each other. Yes? Well, okay, then maybe we should give it a try. So, yeah, intimacy is, the, is, is one of... There are two things here. That, well, there are several things that are foundational principles of making uh, uh, this kind of relationship work, a power-based relationship work. One of them is a willingness to be intimate in that way, really reveal who, who you are. And Very the good. other is to accept consent as a pretty absolute rule. Yes means yes. No means no. There's no in-between there. There's no business, you know, the business of trying to, like, talk somebody into, you know, well, we're, we're almost right. Let's see if we could get it right. No, right. the requirements for this are, are, are fairly stiff. Um, you really kind of have to be right for each other, and you have to be willing to share that part of yourself with the other person, and that person has to want that part of you. Otherwise, it, like any other relationship where some fundamental piece of the intimacy puzzle is left out, you're going to have an incomplete relationship. Very true. So, so what about the female point of view, Nina? Do you, do you agree with all that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, in my previous relationships, which were, um, there was lots of, we weren't truly intimate. We didn't share, if we'd been able to share our, our most truest and, and real thoughts, we would have broken up 18 years sooner than we did. You know, he would never have moved in, but, um, but we were, you know, able and willing to go on and not being truly open with each other. But in order to have a relationship, um, with Ernest and to have this kind of, uh, of sex exchange that we have, you can't withhold anything. We're talking about really important things here. You know, it's not lie back and think of England and it'll be over in five minutes. You know, we're talking about an hour and a half dance here, so you better, you cannot fake your way through an hour and a half dance for 15 years without, you know, murder or suicide. So clearly we're both really in this together and it is a, it is, a willingness to be open during sex continually that makes the intimacy deepen. You know, the only thing that has no limit are feelings. And you read all the marriage manuals and, you know, sex is about intimacy and being open to each other. Well, you have to decide to do that. It doesn't right. just happen. You, you can't, the other person doesn't, doesn't, the other person isn't there to make you open up. You have to, to decide to open up knowing that the other person is there to catch you and go along with you and will not, and will not reject you in that moment. And so it, I, I like BDSM, uh, besides the fact that it's a heck of a lot of fun, is that it, it, I come from a Buddhist background. You don't practice Buddhism. You practice Buddhist principles. So you don't, you know, you don't believe in BDSM. You practice it every time you do it. And in the doing of it, with an ethical and honest um, um, presentation, you you keep building. And let me offer some praise here for submissive for great submissive partners. Anyone okay. who thinks that submissive equals passive has, <laughs> has never met any. I want. I would like to say, you know, submit is a verb, not a noun. Right. Doormats are nouns. Submit is a verb. Really doesn't seem that way. 
No, it's a dance that we do together, and, and, and to give the submissive partner, regardless of gender, the, you know, the, the, the credit that they deserve, um, it's that old saying about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, uh, what she did wasn't any more difficult than what he did. She just did it backwards in high heels. There you go. You know, actually, great submissive partners are in every way equal participants in everything that happened. I like to say that, you know, when people say, geez, geez how did you learn all this stuff? Where did you pick all this stuff up? I'm a product of all the submissive partners I've had. I learned something from every one of them. Which is why and I continue to encourage him to keep having those experiences with others. <laughs> with the partners because I benefit. <laughs> I bring home interesting new information, you know. Yes, like, exactly. Because let me tell you something about women who have made the decision to explore this part of themselves. They're fearless explorers. And they're you know, fierce. And, and they're fierce. I'll tell you, uh, I don't, I, one, thing I've learned, <laughs> I, one thing I've learned, yes, one thing I've learned about, about, uh, about women in general and submissive women in particular is they're not physically fragile, and they're not afraid of stuff. Once they get in there, they really want, they want to try things and do things. If they don't like it, they'll tell you that. This is not the kind of situation. BDSM is not something that one person does to another. It's something that two people do together, or more people if you want, do together. Very true. I mean, though our roles may you know, put one person in charge and the other not when we're having sex, we very much come at this as equals. That was a point that I very strongly wanted to make in, in writing Master of O, is that O, she is, believe me, she's no virgin. <laughs> by, the, by the time she gets to Stephen, she's had all kinds of experience, and she's pretty sure what she likes. She's kind of resigned herself to not finding it because she just, you know, it's focused very sharply, and she's not really sure that anybody's ever going to be able to step up to that. And by a coincidence, this guy is very similar in that way, and it's and these things mesh. Not all BDSM relationships work. You can still be you can, two kinky people can get together and discover that their kinks don't work. Oh and, my gosh, yes. And what happens then? They split up like yes. any other couple. Right, right, exactly. You know, no terrible thing happens as a result of that. They just go, oh well, that was a nice try. You know, we'll be friends. <laughs> we'll have lunch now and again. But really, it's one of those kinds of situations where you cannot conceal vital information about yourself and about what your inner life is all about without compromising your ability to have that kind of relationship. It requires you to be honest. Right. And I think, by the way, that that emphasis on open communication and negotiation would be useful to couples of any sort. You right, You could be the exactly. most vanilla couple in the world. Very and you true. still benefit from, doing, from proceeding from that way of thinking. Well, you know, that was, that was something that, when we talked before on the other interview, kept kept coming to me. I'm like, I'm like, every couple in the world needs some of this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. right? Whether whether they want to get into any of the kink or not, they need the the trust, the honesty, the openness, the communication. They need all those things. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of twisted out of shape about this thing that, as I said, is going to be the first experience at all, the first vision of BDSM and DS relationships that a whole lot of people are going to have are going to be of a dysfunctional one where people don't do that. You yeah. know, if, you, if it were portrayed outside of that context as a dysfunctional relationship, they'd say, okay, well, that's a dysfunctional relationship. I get it. But because there is this, and really it's, just not much more than a hint, but because there is a hint and some of BDSM involvement, that's going to immediately become the thing that becomes pathologized and then becomes the problem. Don't think that you won't see all the professional pundits on this, Dr. Phil and Dr. Drew and all those other doctors with one name. They're going to be on the air talking about how, well, you know, a little fantasy doesn't hurt, but this, if you pursue this kind of thing very far, it's going to be dangerous and it's going to be a problem. And then there are those who have political issues with it and religious issues with it, any of which could also be issues in a completely vanilla relationship. It says right. the one thing doesn't lead to the other. Right. Well, it leads to plenty of divorce, but yeah. yeah well, but what I mean to say is that you know, BDSM relationships aren't necessarily going to be more dangerous, more difficult, harder to, harder to make work than any other kind of relationship because it is a relationship first. So you've got to get that part of it squared away. And that is, that's what does happen in my book and that's what doesn't happen in, you know, in Brand X. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> the last interview, we just kept calling it the nameless book. Or the yeah, name, the, the book that, that shall, shall not, not be, named. be named. Right. You know what? I might as well go ahead and name it because it's not like people don't know what it is. I, I mean, know. It's, it's just it's just fun not to give them the, the plug. You know. Right. Well, they <laughs> nor do they nor do they need it. Right. Exactly. A hundred fifty-five thousand dollars a day. I. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing that I, I don't get about why some of our community really, you know, eagerly embraces this thing and doesn't see it for what it, what it is, which, you know, as a guy who's in the entertainment business, to a great extent I do, is that it's clearly exploitation. You know, right. lots of money is going to be generated off of some really ugly lies that have been told about us, and we're not going to benefit from that in any way, but some people have already benefited a whole lot from it. And there's something about that that's icky. You know, I don't well, like I mean, the fact that E.L. James' public comments on the subject of BDSM have been, and, and those of the cast members have been very negative. Right. You know, and that's not helpful. When Jamie Dornan says, well, I, you know, I went to visit a dungeon, and I saw what some of these people did, and yeah, well, okay, but when I went home, I had to take a shower before I touched my wife or children. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I heard that quote. You know, really, and they think that we're going to go out and spend our money to buy tickets to watch somebody who has that opinion of us? I don't think we should. I'm not calling for a formal boycott or anything, but, man, I'm not piling my money on top of theirs. I'm sorry. <laughs> if that's the way they're going to treat us, well, I'm going to spend that money on something I want to see. I know. Something a little bit more positive. Yeah. Or what? Or entertaining. Or accurate. Yeah, or something. True, true. <laughs> something that doesn't depend on, you know, uh, us being, dis- you know, being depicted as dangerous, crazy people. You know, there are plenty of dangerous, crazy people out there and rela- and some interesting pictures going back to, you know, uh, uh, Fatal Attraction and beyond have been, have been built on that. But it, it, it's, it's, it's really not anything about what we're about. And I really think that the whole BDSM thing, which the author admits was researched online and with which she had no personal contact, and she gets very, very testy about it when this comes up in interviews, um, it's just, it's like a, it's a MacGuffin, mm. you know, the, the whole kink thing is just something for the, it's something for the two main characters to bicker their way through three books and a movie about. I mean, why in the world would anybody want that? I don't know. But then again, I'm not into unhealthy relationships. I'm into the kind where people are happy. <laughs> well, you know, when, when I write novels and I have things that I'm basing on, on like the facts or, or that kind of, or even a specific area, I go to great lengths to do things in such a way that people that are familiar with whatever I'm talking about aren't going to have huge issues. I mean, they're probably going to have some issues, just little things, but I don't want them coming in and thinking, what in the world is she talking about? You know, I want to be recognizable to the people that know what you're talking about. Well, and actually, you know, there there are some fairly extreme things in my book. I'm not going to deny it because these are experienced players who know how to do fairly extreme things in a safe way. But what's not extreme about it? is the manner in which they relate to, to one another as people. Right. That's, that's, it, that is a completely different department. You know, that's the, that's the department of day-to-day life. How much, this is always a, kind of a problem with things that are centered on sex and romance as the main plot device. How much of your life do you spend having sex, and how much of your life do you spend doing errands <laughs> together? You know, how much of your life together is actually spent you know, doing, that, doing this particular thing that's the focus of this story, and how much of it is spent learning to get along with one another on a day-to-day basis. I really f- feel that that's a very important piece of the puzzle, and that is another missing piece of the puzzle in, in the work that's popular now. Um, right. I, tried to, I tried to fill in as much of that puzzle as I could myself, but, you know, really there are other people, as I said, writing excellently about what about the real world of, of power-based relationships, and they do come to grips with that. You know, most of them are grown-ups, married, got children, got jobs. They are not billionaires. They don't have helicopters. They are not college students with no responsibilities. They are actual regular couples. So how do they manage to make this work in the context of being regular couples? Well, I've known people who have been, who have been in power exchange-oriented marriages literally for 60 years. So they must have figured something out. That's it. (laughs) 
I mean, oh. I'm, honestly, I, you know, I look at the relationships around me and all different kinds, vanilla and kinky and everything in between, gay and straight and all other variations of gender. And what I see is that what Tolstoy said long time ago is still true. All happy families are pretty much alike, and each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. <laughs> you know, the people, who, the people who make happy couples will make happy couples no matter what they're into, and the people who are not meant to be together are going to have a miserable time no matter what they do. And if they'd been open and honest and respected each other up front, they probably wouldn't be in their relationship. But that's there you right. go, they like just, my whole first marriage. <laughs> if they just faced up to the fact that they really didn't belong together in the first place, a whole lot of angst would have been saved. Oh, don't remind me. Stop. Wait. No, wait. <laughs> no, my I, whole I, marriage. Depre- no, not, not, not talking about present company here. <laughs> but I'm, I'm an example. I mean, I, I, live, I live that example, which makes this relationship all the more um, you know, valuable and amazing, is that I, as bad as... as good as it is now that's how that's how bad in the in the um in the previous wilderness i was i was wandering because my first marriage was not was not able to be truthful or honest or wake up to the fact that we we're basically incompatible and we really needed to break up nobody was wrong we were just wrong for each other yeah and well, I, by the way, again, I'm not proselytizing for this thing. No, 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 it's, no. It, it's not that I think everyone in the world needs to have it. I'll tell you, I think most people in the world have no use for it and don't need it. I think for those for whom it is orientational, for some of us, I think it is as bone deep as your sexual orientation, gender-wise. You know, I just, I, I, one of the reasons that I gave up what might have been a lucrative career in mainstream journalism and screenwriting was because it would have required me to live in the closet. Now, some people can live in the closet their whole lives and not feel bad about that. They just keep everything private, and that's keep everything a secret from the rest of the world. It's just something between them and their partner. That's cool. I don't judge that. It was a smaller dose of it. But, uh, yeah, but I got a big dose of it, and I just knew that, this, that if I tried to do that, it would be a life of trying to fake it every day of my life. Yeah. You know, I'd have to pretend I was somebody I wasn't. It's that weird feeling, and I know I have gay friends who've talked about this, too, when you're at the office and you're standing around the water cooler talking about what you did over the weekend. Well, I went out on a hot date and we went to see a movie and stuff like that. And you're thinking about what you did over yeah. your weekend. <laughs> well, I went to a dungeon party and uh, I got to see some fantastic a Japanese-style rope bondage. And No, that's TMI. That's a potential <laughs> HR situation in most companies. I can't discuss that, so I have to stand there and be quiet. When that I, conversation I don't see you being in the closet on. about this kind of stuff. I, I just I can't even picture that one. <laughs> well, you know what? People are bothered about it, and if you discuss it in the wrong place, you might find yourself up in the HR office saying, you know, it creates a hostile work environment when you talk about sexual violence at the water cooler. But I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about SM. Same thing. You know, I mean, for a lot of people, that's what they think of. And this, mo- this, this book, these books of this movie, not going to help us there. You know, see, I'm see- a lot of people in our community are seeing this as, like, this is the great breakthrough and people will understand us. No, no. what I'm seeing no. is some very negative propaganda that's going to reinforce bad ideas about us and that that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for people who don't think it's going to be a problem. Because this kind of thing has a way of coming up in, when it comes to security clearances and job opportunities and child custody disputes. This thing can, you know, this orientation can be weaponized against individuals and against groups. You can you really, this contributes to demonizing a bunch of actually sort of zany, harmless people. I mean, the other thing that you know, is. It, BDSM is often depicted as this dark, sinister, dangerous thing, but, and the people who do it are, you know, obviously twisted and cruel. No, actually, most of them are kind of, they're kind of, I would describe them as uh, the same people who go to the Ren Fair and Comic-Con and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, they're a little bit on the zany side, and there's no two of them alike, and they're pretty funny. <laughs> well, well, folks, we're, we're out of time. Like I said, I figured it was going to fly by. So are, are we up for keeping our eyes out and seeing the conversation after the movie comes out and getting together totally. next week and talking sure. about it? Totally there. All right. And we encourage people to send in questions. If you have questions, send oh, them. Yes. We'll give you an honest, honest answer. Yeah, so that's it. <laughs> if you have questions, either check any of us out on Facebook. 
Um, or you can go to my website, lovecoachjourney.com slash blog, and there will be a post about the show. And please feel free to include your questions in the comment section. I'm going to check it out. So, folks, it was great to have you with me, and we will, we will tackle it, and we will see what the public has to say about the movie. And if they have an extra few hours of, uh, that they want to spend reading, they should go to masterofo.com and get my book. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Thank, thank you for letting me say that. And, and find out the truth of what's really going on. So we there will you go. We will see you next time on Ready for Love Radio. Thank you so much.